Hey, good morning. It's great to see you all. Uh, yeah, if you have a Bible open, the book of Mark. We are in the chapter 5 today. And that's the, this is the second sermon of this series. We are calling the series, Can, Can He Be Trusted? And I want to start asking a asking few questions. So, if I ask you, how much has the Lord, how much has Jesus done for you? Would you know how to, ask, how to answer this question? Or text today tells the story of a guy who had an encounter with Jesus. And after his encounter with Jesus, Jesus says, go to your friends, to your city, and tell everyone how much has the Lord, has the Lord, the Lord done for you. And the question is, would you know? Because if you are a Christian, you're supposed, you had an encounter with Jesus. Do you know how to answer this? How to tell people how much has the Lord done for you? So you don't need to answer it out loud, but I want you to think about this. And if you say yes, I know how to answer this. But the second question is, would people be marveled by your answer? Because that our text says when this guy went to his people and tell what Jesus did for him, they were marveled by, by the things Jesus did for him. And a third question would be like, is even you marveled by the things that Jesus did for you? When you think about like all the things that Jesus did in your life? Or is it just like, a, he did okay work. He didn't have much work to do in my life. So, and maybe if you're not a Christian, those questions doesn't make sense for you, but I want you to stay with me, and I want to show you how much you need Jesus as well. So, as we said last week, our series title is a question, can Jesus be trusted, can he be trusted? And as Aaron was saying in our, our first sermon, we are not studying God's word here, aiming like a, a good religious answer. We don't want to finish this series and you say, yes, Jesus can be trusted. We don't want a good theological answer for this, like an answer you have in your mind. We don't want you to have more knowledge, just more knowledge, but we want to have like something new in your heart. We are not aiming for a, yes, he can be trusted with your lips, but a burning as in your heart. And what I mean by that, do you know when you find like a good doctor, for example, you are having like a health problem and you find a good doctor or a good product, something that really helps you with the, the situation you're going through. And then when you see someone else like struggling with the same thing, you have this burning sense that I know exactly what you need. I know exactly who can help you. And then you go and recommend this person or even for small things like I had really good, someone fixed my car or gave me like a haircut or something. And we have like this strong sense that I know someone who can help you. And we have this burning as this burning sense of I, I know something that can something or someone who can help in for a lot of things, even small things in our lives. But when the matter is Jesus, it's different. We are we have a lot of we are hesitant. We are not sure, and we are more like, yeah. But with Jesus, it, it's different. To, to talk about Jesus is different. And I think, you know what's the problem? The problem is that we know the right religious answer for things. So, 
yes, Jesus can be trusted, but we don't really know why he can be trusted. We don't fully understand what happened to us, what's our situation before Jesus. So we don't understand the work he did, and in consequence, we don't, don't know exactly when and how and why to recommend him. Another example of having like a, the right religious answer in our lips many times is Jesus said, I am the way, I am and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe him? Do you trust his words here? Because I know many, many Christians who, if you, you question them about this, they will say, yes. And they know that's the right religion. Yes, yeah, Jesus is the only way. But they don't really understand. They, they cannot explain why, why is Jesus the only way. Why not other ways to God? I know that's what the Bible says, and I am a Christian, so I'm supposed to believe that, but they don't know, they don't know how to explain why. And the, 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 the problem, the root of the problem is that they don't know how much has the Lord done for them. And that's a fundamental question for your faith. So my goal here today is to show you who Jesus is, but to make that, I, we need to make clear who we are, who we were before Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, and what's your situation without Jesus. And once you, we understand this, we trust the Lord more. We, we just, it's not just about trusting more or having a, a stronger sense of trust in Jesus, but it's a real trust. Jesus is not just a philosophy, we believe. So yeah, I know in the realm of thoughts, I was a sinner, he saved me, but it's a living reality. You, you understand that, you can see that clearly. So yeah, if you have a Bible, open the book of Mark, chapter five, verses one to 20. We're going to have the text on the screen as well, if you want to follow here. So, the Word of God says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with, the ch with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in peace. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, voice he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I jure you by God to not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked me, What's your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly to not send them out of the country. Now a great, great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and then began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting to the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him. And everyone marveled. Amen. Let's pray together before I start. So, Lord, I want to first thank you for your word. Thank you for your compassion and mercy. Thank you because you haven't left us alone in this world. Thank you because on your mercy, you reveal yourself to us. You reveal yourself to people who are not looking for you. We ask, Lord, that by your, through your Holy Spirit, you make your word effective in us here today, this morning. We ask you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome the barriers we create in our hearts, soften our hearts, and make us a good soil for your word, where your word can be planted. Give us eyes to see, give, it, give us ears to hear, and give us a heart to feel. In the great name of Jesus, amen. So, just a quick background. So Jesus and his disciples were crossing the sea, as we see last week, and they, they had this experience with this big storm that Aaron taught us yesterday, uh, the, last, the last sermon. And now they arrived to the other side of the sea, to this place called the country of the Gerasenes. And we know by studying like historical and geographical background, some hints in our text, that now they are... They are in a Gentile region. And by Gentile, we mean like people who are not Jews. That's the definition of a Gentile. And we see in our text that when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately he met this guy with, who was demon-possessed. So Jesus hadn't had time to walk in the region, to talk to other people, to, to sleep, to find a place to stay. He, he stepped out of the boat and this guy came. And try to imagine this. This guy was naked. He was probably hurt because the text said he, he usually, uh, would hurt himself with stones. So maybe he was bleeding. He was like a very poor situation. And he comes running and screaming. screaming and he bowed before Jesus. And when he started talking, it's not him talking, but it's a demon talking. That's his first experience once he stepped out of the boat. Can you imagine like the disciples' reaction when they saw this really weird situation? Maybe they were afraid and at the same time like uh, having a pity for, for this guy. Uh, like I guess it's a, you have a lot of feelings together when you see a situation like that. So that's a very bizarre and sad scene we have before us today. So let's take a closer look on the life of this man who had this encounter with Jesus here. So according to the law of Moses, and that is the law of God, 
this guy was unclean in so many ways. And by unclean, I mean he was not able by, by, by the, law of, uh, the law of God to have communion with God and communion with the people of God. We can see at least four different ways uh, by what we see that he was unclean before God. So he was possessed by unclean spirits and being possessed by unclean spirits make you unclean. And he was a Gentile. And at that time, like for, for the Jews, for the people of God, all the Gentiles were considered unclean people. And being a Gentile place, it's an unclean place to, to be. And this guy was a Gentile living in a Gentile region. Uh, he was living among the tombs. He was living like in the cemetery. And a person, a person would be considered unclean just by touching a dead body or touching something that a dead body touched. And he was living in the cemetery. So very unclean. And he was living close to pigs. We see that there is a herd of pigs there. And pigs were considered unclean animals. And the people of God wouldn't eat or breed pigs. So it was like the most unclean place you can imagine at that time for, for a Jew, Jew perspective. Other than that, we have the this, this same account in the other Gospels in Matthew and Luke. Matthew 8 and Luke 8, but we won't read now for the sake of time. But by joining these three reports, we can see that he was living naked. And no one could pass his way because he was very, a very violent guy. And he was wandering day and night, crying out and harming himself. He was in the cemetery in the mountains. And Matthew says that people tried to bind him, but he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon to solitary places. So that's his, this guy's situation. It's very sad, right? I think if we cross this guy in the street, we would look to him probably being afraid of him, feel like pity. It's, it's a really hard situation. It's really hard to to see like another human being in this situation. And I guess like sometimes when we walk in some place in our cities, maybe the city you came from or in this city, you see people who are in like maybe a similar situation in very sad, very poor condition. But I want you to open your eyes for the first reality here in this text that this guy is not much different from us. And that's, Maybe you, before you push back on me in this, I, I want to show why I'm saying this. So this guy is a physical, a visible manifestation of a spiritual reality. So let me show something. If you have a Bible open in Isaiah 65, 65. We're going to have the text here on the screen as well. And we're going to start understanding that this man is a picture of the situation of every human being who is in rebellion against God. And just to make clear, I'm not saying that this story we are reading today is an allegory. That's not the point here. It's a real guy, a real story. He had an encounter with Jesus. Everything is true. But what I'm saying is that this man works as a window to a much deeper spiritual reality. So Isaiah 6, 5 says... I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in, the, who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices or their, their own thoughts. 
a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat in, in, in their vessels. So it's very inter interesting, right? The, I think you notice how the description Isaiah gives of, uh, of this, this people here is very similar to the guy in our text today. But let's understand a bit, that's a prophecy Isaiah brought that God gave to him. So let's understand a bit better this prophecy and what it's about. So uh, I want you to open your Bible in the books of Romans and Paul will help, uh, help to explain to us the meaning of this, this text. So uh, I don't want to read Romans 10, the whole thing, for the sake of time as well, we can uh, do it later. But... Paul uses this text, he quotes Isaiah, to talk about the inclusion of the Gentile people in the covenant of the people of God. So, we're going to read uh, the verse 11 to 13 to have some context, and then the verse uh, 20 and 21. So, verse 11 to 13 says, uh, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction, distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's talking, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile. So that's what Paul is making, the point he's making here. And then on verse 20 and 21, he quotes Isaiah, the same text we just read, and he says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all the day long I have held out of my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So Paul is saying here like that the first verse of Isaiah, when he said, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found for those who did not seek me. Uh, Paul is saying that Isaiah is talking about the Gentiles. And God, through the mouth of Isaiah, is already showing that he would include in his people the Gentiles too. And the second verse, Paul says he's talking about the, 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 the Jew, Jewish people. So he said, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good, that's not good, following their own thoughts. He's talking about the rebellious Jews. And the description we have after is a description of all the rebellion, uh, rebellion people. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile, because it, it's interesting because when we read the description Isaiah gives, it's a very it's a description of a Gentile people, a, a Gentile person. They, they wouldn't care about what is clean and what is unclean before God. But Paul is saying, you, that you are a rebellious Jew, you are exactly the same thing. I, I see you the exact same way. I, I see the, 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 the Gentiles. So, that's what Paul is trying to say here. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Because at the end of the day, if you are rebellious against God, God sees you the same way. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Greek or if you're something. God, your situation is the same. The people described by as I the Old Testament as the people who provoke me to my face and sit in the tombs and spend the night in, in, in tombs and spend the night in the secret places. 
is how God sees every rebellious person in the earth, Gentile or Jew. So the lesson from this text, text in Isaiah that I want you to understand today, today is that when Jesus did this to this demon-possessed man in our text, he was showing the exact same thing that Isaiah prophesied. He was, he was cleaning a very, very unclean Gentile and including him to the people of God. And that's important for us because we are by nature Gentile. You, I don't know if someone here is Jew, but... We are, most of us here, we are Gentiles. So it's important for us. It's the same way this guy is included in the people of God, we are included as well. We are in the same situation, the same need as this guy. And we need the same miracle to be done for us. So just to talk about a little bit about what it means to be a Gentile. So Ephesians 2, uh, 11 to 13. You don't need to, to open, we're going to have here. Paul says, therefore remember that at one time, you Gentile in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and stranger to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, that's our picture as Gentiles. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the covenant of the promise, having no hope, having no God. And that's exactly the demon-possessed guy situation when Jesus found him. Separated from Christ, alienated from the covenant, having no hope, having no God. And that's our situation when we walk without, without Jesus. And you need to remember that being a member of the people of God is not something... No one would ever expect. We Gentiles being part of the covenant of God, being part of his people, is the mystery that was revealed by the gospel. So Ephesians 3, 6, we're going to have here in the screen. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow hers, hers, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul is saying that the, the mystery that the gospel unveiled is that we Gentiles, we can be part of the people of God. In Romans uh, 15, 8, 9, just to make this point stronger, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's tr truthness, in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So we Gentiles, we glorify God for, them, for his mercy. And that's exactly what Jesus says to this man at the end of our text. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he had mercy on you. Because you're a Gentile, you don't deserve to be part of the people of God. So let's have this clear in our minds. We being part of the people of God is not something you should take for granted. It's not a right we have. It's actually one of the greatest expressions of the mercy of God. But now you can say, okay, I understand that spiritually. I, I was in the same situation as this guy. I'm a Gentile. I don't deserve to be part of people of God. That's okay. I, 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 can, I can understand that. But... At least I don't live a miserable life as this guy lived. Right? But I want to show you that even in this sense, things are not very different. 
We believe like the outcasts of the society or people living like really hard lives in third world countries, they, they need like a, a biggest miracle from Jesus. So you can look to this guy's life and understand why this guy needed like a supernatural intervention in his life. But you don't think like that God had that much work for, for in your life to make you clean. You think you're, you are better than this guy. And I, I want to explore this more, more with you. So I want to show, show you two things. How God, how he sees people who are not under his kingship. And if we don't really see, understand our reality, we will become lukewarm Christians in a lukewarm church. And if you want to be someone who really trusts Jesus, who has like a living faith, who is hot in your faith, you need to understand who you are. So let's see what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea. Revelations 3, 15 to 18. Jesus, uh, is, here is Jesus talking to this church. It's a church. They are Christians, quote-unquote Christians. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were, you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may be not seen, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Can you see the problem with these people? They were so blind that they could they couldn't see their, their real situation. They would look to themselves, to themselves and say, we are doing well. We, 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 we are Christians, we, are pros, we, are pro, we have prospered, we are rich, we don't need nothing. And that's how God sees them. You, you need to see who you are. You are poor, you are uh, naked, you are pitiable. That's your situation. Wretched. And it's interesting because here, here saying, you are lukewarm for you say. So that's the reason why you are lukewarm. Because you think you are rich, you have prospered, and you don't need nothing. Because you don't see your situation before God. You think God's impressed by when he sees Canada and he sees, I don't know, like another poor country. Yeah, these guys are doing way better than... For him, it's all, all, all the same. You don't look like you don't look to different dead bodies in the cemetery and say, oh, this guy is doing way better than this other one because he has a better tomb. It doesn't matter. The reality is that, uh, I want to show you like one more text, like Matthew 8, 22. So we had this situation when, when a guy was about to follow Jesus and he asks Jesus, he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Just let me go and, and bury my father because he died. And Jesus says for him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That's how Jesus saw all the people who were not under his kingship, who were not following him. They are just dead people burying dead people. They are all the same. 
So that's our situation. That's who we are. We are just dead people. We are as dead as this guy, this demon-possessed guy. There is no difference in the eyes of God. He, do, he doesn't look to this guy and say, yeah, his situation is way worse. I, I need to do a better work here. It will be, I need to use more of my power here to, to bring him to, to, to my people. No, it's, it's just exactly the same. Well, maybe you are thinking now, well, at least I'm not harming myself as this guy because he were harming him, himself with stones, right? So I need to tell some news about what is sin. The Bible says the wage of sin is death. Our sin is bringing destruction and death upon, upon us. Adam and Eve sinned, uh, the, and they were bringing death, destruction, affliction, sadness over themselves and others to the whole humanity. And so do we. Our sins destroy and corrupting every good things in our lives. Our sins destroy our bodies, our minds, our relationships, everything. And we keep doing this when we are without Jesus because we love the self-destructive behavior. We love sin and we love the very thing that's killing us. Or do you think that lying, being drunk, have wrong sexual intercourse, stealing, practicing abortion, using drugs, bearing false witness, murder, war, idolatry, jealousy, envy, and so on, are not a way of self-harming and harming other people. And you know what's even, what is funny in this whole situation? Because this guy had an excuse. He was demon-possessed. And we are not. We sin and we harm ourselves, we harm our, our, other people because we love sin. So, whose situation is worse? Ours or his? And finally, we come to what seems to be the biggest problem of this guy's life, demons. So you're saying, at least I'm not demon-possessed. That's great. And maybe you were never possessed by demons, but what the Bible says that you were enslaved to them. So you were following everything they wanted. The, the devil was your master. So basically there is very little difference of being possessed and being enslaved to the devil. Because one way or another, you are doing his will. Ephesians 2, verse 1 gonna have here in the screen says, as for you, there's no efficiency, that's all right. So it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So you were following the, the, the way of what? The ruler of the kingdom of the earth, Satan. And who is Satan? Satan is the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. So he is working in the lives of people who are disobedient to God, the rebellious people. Second Corinthians 4, 3, 4, we have this one? Yes. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan makes you blind. 
Galatians 4.8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to, to those who by nature are not gods. Who are they? Demons. You were slaves to demons. So if you think that being possessed is way worse than being slaves to the devil, it's because you don't really understand it. You don't understand our situation without God. And if you are a Christian, you, 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 don't, you don't understand where Christ took, took you out from. So we are in the exact same situation, just different fashion. This guy was demon-possessed. You were enslaved by demons. They were not visible in your life, maybe, but they were there. They were doing the same thing that they are doing to this guy's life. And before his encounter with Jesus, this man was so unclean that he was totally unable to seek God, right? He was out of his mind. He was unable to choose God. He was unable to choose what is good. And the same is true for us. Brothers and sisters, this man's life was miserable and very sad. And so is the life of every person far from Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, that's the situation Jesus found you and saved you from. If you are not a Christian, I hope you can have your eyes open to see how desperately you need Jesus. It takes us to our second point. Okay, I understand my situation, but why Jesus? Why is he the only way? So in this second point, we see that once these demons they see Jesus, they bow before him. They are totally subdued. All this situation that was totally out of control was chaos. No one could subdue this guy. Jesus just appears just by his presence. The demons are subdued to him. This guy is there, bowing before Jesus and following the commands of his voice we see very clear that there is no battle between Jesus and the demons. Between God and the devil. The, the demons knew who Jesus is. They, they say, the son of the most high God. And they obey him. And they even beg him to don't send them to the pit, to the pit, to the, to out of the country, to don't torment, torment them. And it's not just one demon, but many of them. We don't know exactly how many. It's interesting because Jesus is the only time when he asks a name of a demon. And they say, my name is Legion. And that's, in this, he said, like, my name is Legion because we are many. And it's interesting because Legion at, at the time was a military unit of the Roman Empire. It was a, around five or 6,000 men in this unit. So, I, but I, I don't think that the point here was to say like there are six or 5,000 demons in this guy. But the point here is that what the demon said, we are many, we are a legion, we are a military unit of hell. And it's very interesting because the Jews had this expectation that the Messiah, the Savior would come to what? To defeat, to subdue the Romans' legions. That was their expectation about the Messiah. But Jesus came to what? Not to subdue Romans' legions, but to subdue hell's legions. 
That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12. Very famous text. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus' battle wasn't against flesh and blood. It was against the Romans, against Romans' legions. And I think this whole situation illustrates really well that Jesus came to defeat the house legions. Jesus came to destroy the kingdom of the devil. The, king, the devil is the true enemy of the people of God and of the humanity. That's why Jesus came. And the, our text showed that he has the power for it. And his power is so superior that we can barely call this a battle. Jesus just appears and the demons are there in their knees, begging for some type of mercy. So in the hell against hell and sin, the only one who can subdue, subdue them is Jesus. With no struggle, just by his presence and his word. And then we see that there is like a negotiation here between the demons and Jesus. They ask Jesus to go to the pigs. And they, the, the demons show to be confused about Jesus' presence there. So in Matthew 8, the, the, the same account, uh, the demon says to Jesus, What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? So by this, we can conclude that the demons, they know they will be judged, judged and thrown in the lake of fire. They know they will be tormented by God. But they were confused about the, about the timing. Because now, Jesus, you are here to torment us? That they were confused. They, we can see that the demons, they have like an orthodox Catholic. They have an orthodox understanding of the end times. They know when the time comes, they will be thrown in the lake of fire. They will be tormented forever by God. They understand these things. It's not like the demon thinks we are in a war against God and we might win. No, they know they, they will lose at the end. It's just a matter of the right timing. And they were confusing about the timing. That's what, what, what is seen in this text. So Satan and his demons, by what is seen in the Bible, they don't think they can win the war against God. They understand who God is. They understand who Jesus is. And then once Jesus gives permission to them, it's important to note that they just go to the pigs when Jesus gives permission. They are just waiting for permission. And Jesus said, leave the man, go to the pigs. And then we have like this whole situation with the pigs. And about this, I want to say just a few things. Uh, the text is not explicit. Why the demons want to enter the pigs? And I'm not very familiar with the mind of demons. I'm not very familiar with demons, so I don't understand as well why they want to enter the pigs. But we can learn some, some things from, from, from there instead of trying to understand why they want to, to enter the pigs. One thing that's very clear is that this scene with the pigs was a visible demonstration of this man healing and that the whole conversation with the demons was true. Everyone watching the whole scene, they couldn't ask, man, this guy's out of his mind. He thinks he's a demon now. He's, asking, he's talking as a demon. But once they see like the demons asking to go to the pigs and Jesus saying, go, and then the pigs start acting like this, you would be like, whoa, there's some, something here that is not just a crazy guy. 
So it was a confirmation, a, a, a really physical manifestation of, of what just happened and of the, the authority of Jesus under these spirits, over these spirits. Uh, one thing it, I want to just say really quickly, some people suggest that Jesus seen it when he did this. Uh, I found a lot of sermons saying like, Jesus had, he allowed this, those animals to be killed. And we, we live in the, this world now that animals are so valuable as human beings, blah, blah, blah. And it's just important to never fall in this trap. Jesus, he has authority over, over creation. For him, one man is way more important than 2,000 pigs or how many pigs you want to count. And he has authority over creation. So there is no sin here. There is no, nothing wrong here about the, with, like he allowing those pigs to be killed by the demons. And on the verse 14, the text says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. So we can maybe conclude that what happened to those pigs encouraged or even allowed the herdsmen to go to the city and to the country to tell everyone about, about what just happened. And everyone, everyone came to see what happened. Because the, the, those herdsmen, before they had pigs to, to take care, now they have no pigs. So they can go to the city, to the country, and tell everyone about what happened. So it's important to know that Jesus didn't ask for this guy, like our demon-possessed guy, to have faith, to, to free him. This guy was not looking for Jesus. And the demons were, they, they haven't had the power to do anything against the work of Jesus. So that's how Jesus works. He's not waiting for you to have faith, to be looking for him. He's not, oh, I need to make war against the demons. No, Jesus just go and do it. Unclean, now clean. That's how Jesus does his work in us. That's what we just read. God makes himself known to people who are not looking for him. People who are, who are suffering without knowing how to fix it, not willing to fix it. And that's what the Lord has done for you. He found you in a pitiable situation. He found when you were naked, poor, wretched, blind, and having nothing to offer, and he loved you. He had compassion on you. He had mercy on you. He called you a son or a daughter. Aren't you amazed by Jesus deciding to save someone like me? It's like you, like me. I, I am amazed. And when people, like people from the city, they start arriving, the man who was once possessed, he was there clothed and in his, in his right mind. And the Bible says they were afraid. And it takes us to our last point. So I, I want you to take a look with me and the people's reaction to what just happened. And we ha so we have in this final scene a lot of people begging Jesus. Uh, by the way, there is a lot of begging Jesus going on in this text. So demons begging Jesus, the population begging Jesus, the guy who, who, who was once demon-possessed begging Jesus. <clears throat> and so in this final scene, we have the people from the city and the country who came to see what happened. They were begging Jesus to leave their region. After listening to the guys who were like watching the situation, describing, describing what happened to the men and to the pigs, 
they, they ask, Jesus, please leave. And Jesus is entering his boat, and the guy who was once possessed now is begging to be with Jesus. Jesus, please let me be with you. Let me go with you. I think we have some lessons we can learn from that. The first one is that seeing the power of God in a huge miracle didn't cause a revival. You don't see people here begging Jesus to stay. You don't see people interested in knowing who he is. You don't see people becoming disciples. All we see is people afraid of Jesus, of his holiness, of his power, and asking him to leave. And we have seen this happening a lot in the gospel. Different groups, Pharisees, Sadducees, people from the city where, where Jesus grew up, they were listening to Jesus, seeing his signs and wonders, and they wanted Jesus to leave. They were ashamed of him, and some even angry at him. Friends, people don't need to see miracles. They need to hear the gospel and have their hearts changed to love light instead of darkness. To love what is good instead of sin, instead of evil. We can see that those people, they were more comfortable in having demons in his land than Jesus. Seeing miracles wasn't the problem. People don't need to see miracles. They don't need to prove that God exists. They need a new heart. And that's why we preach the gospel. This whole scene here, this final scene, is the picture of the humanity. They don't care about the clean, the clean man now. The man who was once in that, that pitiable situation, now it's, it's clean, it's doing really well. And they don't care about him, and they want Jesus to live, the guy who made the miracle. And we have this guy who was cleaned by Jesus, begging to follow him. And for our surprise, what's the answer? No. So it's really interesting because the demons beg to enter the pigs. Jesus says, yes. The population begs Jesus to leave. And he says, yes. And the guy who, was, who is now a disciple, Jesus, I want to go with you. And he says, no. That's super interesting, right? So I think we have something to learn from, from, from this. First, he, this guy was willing to leave everything behind, behind to follow Jesus. He was not willing not, now to go back to his family, friends, or, or job. This guy didn't have a reaction like, Jesus, thanks so much. Now I was in this very poor situation. Now you made me well. So now I'll go just live my life and find my family and find a good job and have a good life now. No, he was interested in... Jesus, let me follow you. I, I will leave everything behind to follow you. That's the reaction of someone who had encountered Jesus. Nothing is important. Because you found me in this situation. What, what I have that make me stay here? I don't have nothing. I just want to be with you. And that's the situation of everyone who encounters Jesus. But we see as well that he was obedient to Jesus. We see that although he wanted to follow Jesus, he obeyed Jesus and went to his city to proclaim how much Jesus has done for him. So that's a second fruit of someone who had encountered to Jesus. You, you still have your, your desire, your thoughts, but you obey Jesus. You obey his commands. You don't do the things you think are good for you anymore, but you, you do what he says to you what you should do. That's the mission I have to you. That's the way you should live. That's where you should go. 
Because sometimes we are like this, thank you Jesus for cleaning me. Now I know what's best for me. And the best thing for me is now be with you and follow you and be your job, blah, blah, blah. No, this guy was obedient. I'll follow what you're saying to do. So we can see that this man, after his encounter with Jesus, he trusts Jesus in two different ways. He trusts Jesus to leave everything behind and follow him and to, to stay and proclaim what happened to him in the place that he was at the moment. He obeyed Jesus' commands. He trusts obeying Jesus' words. By this, we can see very clear some things, clearly some things. That faith, and faith is strong linkage to trust, e obedience to Jesus come after being cleaned clean by Jesus. That's why we, in the Bible, we understand that faith comes after regeneration. You need to be born again to have faith in Jesus, to be willing to follow him. You don't follow Jesus because you are a good person, because you cleanse yourself and now you, you can follow what is right. You don't follow Jesus because you are smart. You don't follow Jesus because you are a more moral person. You don't follow Jesus because even in your pitiable situation, at least you had faith. You have faith to follow him. You, you, you can trust him. You can see with clarity who you are and who he is because he cleansed you. He rescued you. You were totally unable. And Jesus worked in your life. He gave you a new heart. He gave you a new life, a new nature. And now you can have faith. Now you can trust him. Faith, trust is a fruit of the new birth. And that's why the Bible says salvation is from the Lord and from the Lord alone. So just to finish going back to our initial questions. So why is Jesus the only way? I have a better question for us. Now that you know your situation apart from Jesus, who else is capable to take you off of this situation? Who else or what else has the power to save us? <clears throat> to clean us, to rescue us? Do you think a, a good teaching about moral? Do you think like a good psychologist, a good uh, doing meditation or good medicine or much money or practicing some other religion or spirituality would help this man? They would do nothing. They would represent nothing to this man. And that's the same for us. If you don't trust Jesus, what else can you trust? Look to your situation without Jesus and ask yourself, who else could save me? Who else would have mercy on me? Who else could offer me any help? What else could offer me any help? So I hope now you can see how much the Lord has done for you. I hope you leave this service today knowing the, the answer for, for this question, how much has the Lord done for you. Knowing how much He loved you, how much He had mercy on you, knowing that He's the only way, the only powerful to save. There is no way without God. There is no truth without there is no way without Jesus. There is no truth without Jesus. There is no life apart from Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we should be marveled, but Jesus chosen to save someone like us, right? So let us now go and tell people, as this guy, and let them know how God has had mercy on us.
Let them know about how great is the God we serve. Let us go and praise his mercies. Let us go and proclaim the name of the only true God who is powerful to save. The God who lifts up those burdened with heavy loads. The one who feeds the hungry and gives living water to those who are thirsty. That's what you need to proclaim. Church, look to what Jesus has done for us. And let's trust him. And say to everyone that Jesus is the only one who can save us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I want to thank you for your word. It's a, a very harsh reality for us. It, it's really hard to understand why would you being so holy love someone like us? And we are so blind, so wretched, so arrogant that we don't, don't see our own situation. We think we are doing basically well without you. We sometimes, even as Christians, we see you as a, someone who can support us to be a better person. But not the reason for our own life. The reason why we can see truth. This, the reason why we have a life. The reason why we can, we can even come before God. Sometimes we pray in the name of Jesus and we don't realize that without Jesus dying on the cross, we cannot even talk to you. We have no access to you. Forgive our trespasses, God. Forgive our sins. And we don't want to be those lukewarm Christians who think they are rich, they have prospered, and they need nothing. We want to be Christians who understand our situation without you. And we want to be on our knees before you, God. Always asking for forgiveness. Always asking for you to do the work in our lives because we are totally unable to, to walk and go in, in this life without you. Help us. And that your Holy Spirit can bring conviction, conviction in our hearts of how much you, Lord, has done for us. So we can proclaim and people can be marveled by how great the Lord you serve. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. <clears throat>